Hi, everyone. Welcome to Freshwater Perspectives. Today, we'll be talking about the continual control of sea lamprey in the Great Lakes. Thanks for listening. back another week matt how are we doing it's i'm happy because the, the semester's <laughs> over glad you're I'm, happy i'm done taking classes for now i'm done grading so many papers are you done with your course load now so technically yes i want to take one more stat course so i can get a stats minor glutton for punishment yeah <laughs> i really am uh I I'm going to think hard this summer <laughs> whether or not how bad, how much that stat miner is going to help me in the long run, but mm -hmm. we'll see. <laughs> I'm sure it will help. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I uh... had a undergrad professor that he said, at least he said the only reason he got that job was because he had a stat miner coming out of undergrad so that he could teach like a stat related biology course, but I don't know. I yeah. I mean, I guess between like a, graduate study person in an undergrad that's one of the big difference right is yeah you're you're but on the flip side i mean there's also statisticians <laughs> so like, yeah you know, well what are they doing i'm kidding totally kidding yeah well one thing i will say and i appreciate all the statisticians out there however at least when i've taken stats courses taught by statisticians they focus a lot on the mathematics and it mm -hmm. just makes it really hard to try to connect that to the you know like the actual use and implementation of those of those methods i think like researchers knowing the stats like a working knowledge you must have mm -hmm. you do the work and then you verify with the statistician i think that's the best like order of operations yeah no that's a right? i think that yeah that works even better 100 mm -hmm. so yeah. yeah well fun dude yeah i'm looking forward to a busy summer rachel and i so one so we officially have a new apartment so we're moving in this, uh, the beginning of June. We're moving How out. sad. Leaving so. Alabama. Georgia. Georgia. <laughs> You're going to listen to that while you drive over? Absolutely not. <laughs> I hope that the time zone really messes with you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it'll mess up our our recording at, at least once or twice. Because I'm going to be like, oh, you oh, ready yeah. to go for like 9 a.m. or 6 p.m.? And I'm just, I'm going to be on like way late or something. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I think it'll actually help because it's about an hour, 45 minute drive and it's an hour mm -hmm. ahead. So I get that hour back driving across to Alabama. So I don't have to wake up any later. You, you know, it's so an if hour I leave, 45 from Auburn. No, it's an hour slash like 45. It's between that roughly. Oh, I was like, oh, my God, man, you're going to drive four <laughs> hours a day. <laughs> Absolutely not. I was like, that's your life choice. But she's. <laughs> I almost had to do an intervention on you for a second. I was like, no way. Are you living an hour for driving an hour 45? No, 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 no. An yeah. hour is, is just about the most I could do every day. So I think, um, mm -hmm. I think it'll be good. It's a yeah. nice area. Uh, the job Rachel's got is fantastic. They seem really great and she seems mm -hmm. excited to be out there. So she's, she graduates next Monday. And then she's off her, she's been off since Thursday. So she's just, she's Next just chilling. Next Monday, wow. Mm-hmm. Isn't that crazy? 
It really is. Are you going to do a, a fun um, graduation party or anything? Yeah, so we're going back home. So her little brother graduates undergrad. So she graduates on Monday. We're going to my cousin's wedding in Dallas on sun Saturday, flying to Jersey on Sunday. Her little brother graduates undergrad in New York on Monday. So oh we're God. just, we're going to be all over the place. But we're spending that week, her little brother graduates. We're going to be up in Jersey, seeing friends, seeing family. I got to meet mm-hmm. with my groomsmen and hang out with them for a little bit. And nice. then we're going to try to, we're going to try to hit up a soccer game. So we'll see a little mini vacation. I remember when I graduated Auburn, we, uh, the family came down, mm-hmm. it took a little arm twisting, but I got, I told my parents, I was like, let's book an Airbnb on Lake Barton. Oh yeah. Gorgeous. It was so fun. Mm-hmm. Took a little mm-hmm. arm twisting. Cause they're like, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. They're just Midwestern, you know, <laughs> they're like new places. <laughs> my mom like lit candles before they came down. She was so she like concerned. <laughs> she did not. The church, dude. Those pagans. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> but uh, they do. We had. I don't know. There was like a place, a complex little thing. It wasn't a resort, but like they also you had access to like a swimming pool, almost like an HOA, I guess. Oh, yeah. Oh, nice swimming. Like the the swimming pool was like right on the um the shoreline. Oh, it was gorgeous. Yeah, it's um, a nice setup. Okay. Yeah. So wait. So is she gonna walk then? Yes, for graduation. Yes, yes, yes. Sorry. Yeah. I don't know why. For some reason, I thought you meant walk to work. I was like, no, it's still pretty far from work. <laughs> it's not like a 15-minute drive for her. But, I mean, I guess she could if she wants to. There's like a... Speaking about driving, we like live in a very rural area. And like right now, I walk to work. We live in oh, town. Oh, that's nice. But like, I really want to be on the Mississippi River, like the actual mm-hmm. right on the banks. And that's mm-hmm. like... 56 minutes away mm. i was like it's just just the tiniest bit too far and i was like oh, it hurts my soul every day <laughs> yeah i don't know i'm also of the opinion though that i'd rather live somewhere that i like more be more comfortable in one place and drive a little bit further than the opposite where i'm closer but the place isn't as nice i'm sure your house is perfectly fine for you guys right now but right now so uh, maybe in the future right so we're yeah. still trying to decide and then yeah with a little know, noodle man. coming, you know, also, who, who knows where they'll be. <laughs> um, also, miss I mean, right on the banks of Mississippi. I don't know. The river floods a lot, man. It's it's that. So that was going to be my update. My water update today. Oh, is the Mississippi, at least in the upper Mississippi, is, is like one of the all time highs. Oh, wow. And I tell you, man. So I, I mean, anybody for our four listeners I went to school in La Crosse, Wisconsin, right on the banks of Mississippi. And I went and visited um, a couple last week. Like it was just under like crest stage. Mm-hmm. But so what it's like is like, I mean, it's a giant valley. You were there, right? Yeah. And like yep, you, yep, yep. you look across and the Army Corps installed. So there's a combination of like natural islands, but then there's a, a more like Army Corps installed these like U-shaped islands to like slow the water all that stuff it's like all those islands aren't necessarily real Hmm. but they're like they kind of like put them in and then like they're growing each year with the sediment coming down oh but like this so this last week i've never seen in my entire life it was i mean effectively a bowl and all those islands were underwater so you look across and it's just straight water and it's holy cow wild 
it's so wild. It's like, oh my gosh. So like, it's really, um, and like, we've gotten a good amount of rain. Yeah. Again, an hour away. And we're mm-hmm. like a major tributary that I help manage, right? The river it's called, I'm mm-hmm. going into not a major it's a uh, tributary. Okay. It's not like the, <laughs> the Missouri <laughs> or anything, but like, <laughs> um, like you're like, oh yeah, the, like the water is high up here and they, they're, they're almost at like crest stage where you want to call it down there. And I was wow. like, God, like there's still more coming and you're like, oh my hmm. gosh, it's just weird to think about. I mean, is that just, so is that a combination of rainfall and snow melt or is it mostly uh, just rainfall? So we've been without snow for a couple weeks. Okay. There was like, I mean, we did get like a couple inches one day, but then it like all melted. So yeah, that was yeah, interesting. Yeah. But like uh, up north, I hear, depends on how far up north though, because that switches basins because yeah, there's a Great Lakes basin. I mean, like, oh, like okay. there's still snow in the town that I used to live in. There's still snow. Oh, wow. And I, th- I don't know. I don't know if it's necessarily the just a fluke season or what um because i wasn't up there for more than one year but like uh mm-hmm. yeah so there is it's more so we, we've had a couple rainfalls where it's been like inch plus of rain wow yeah so it's it's pretty interesting mm. and then think about this too like the mississippi river oh, a couple of our podcasts i think we talked about this where we started it was at all-time lows remember yes yes you did mention that yeah. So like now we're Yeah, because at, the the barges were getting stuck. Yeah. So that's I mean, I don't know what the water height down south is. Um, but yeah, isn't that weird? Yeah. You can have like historic highs or at least in the last couple of decades, the highest point it's been. And then mm-hmm. now <laughs> Yeah, it's insane. Well, that's weird. like well, I mean, just last year with right California and, and the West Coast, they were like Lake Mead was almost empty and mm-hmm. now it's like overflowing. They have such they have an excess of water now in that in that reservoir. It's just crazy right. how stuff can change so quickly. Follow up on that. I, I remember. Isn't that weird? So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then I was looking at all the comments for the, the Upper Mississippi, and they're like, "This is why we need to divert water to the west." They're talking about the um, <laughs> the giant um, cistern culvert that would bring water out west. Mm-mm. Isn't that weird? Yeah, I don't like that idea personally. Yeah. That that's just happen, me so it's not gonna happen yeah <laughs> Matt's like no no it's our water i don't know i just when you're when you're moving like major river systems i, just, eh, I don't like it hmm. that's gonna be, that'll be an interesting one yeah because it could bring what we're talking about today beautiful segue if you're done matt with the updates oh, i'm done okay one of the reasons why we don't like movement of water to new places is invasive species. Ooh, and that's what we'll talk about today. Look at that segue. <laughs> There's geography, geology <laughs> that can prevent movement of invasives. <laughs> if you prevent, bring those, down those barriers, things will happen. So today we'll be talking about sea lamprey, specifically ah, in the Great Lakes. Classic. Okay, you ready for this? Yep. Let's get let's get started. Sea lamprey or vampire fish. I wish they'd just be called vampire fish. Okay. I mean, yeah, I think it'd, it'd get people to be a little bit more aware of them, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So this is one of the most notable, in my opinion, and others, um, freshwater invasive species to have come to the United States. So we're specifically focusing about United States as well as Canada today. Mm-hmm. Um, 
they came in the last past century. And what we're going to be talking about is first off the ecology, moving to the Great Lakes and why they are such great invasive species. Any questions? Any thoughts? What are your what are your um, sea lamp ray um, knowledge pre knowledge? Let's take a pre test. Um, so I know a decent amount about how they. I mean, I think it's pretty well known, at least in like our field, how they got here. Mm -hmm. um, so I understand that. Um, as far as their life history, I don't know too much. I do know i think at least it's like mostly one species that is that like parasitic kind of blood sucking mm -hmm. a lot of the at least like in, in alabama the native species of lamprey i don't think they're parasitic um i don't think or it may just be like their adult stage i think it depends yeah, definitely the adult um, stage yeah um but besides that um i know that there was a bunch of different programs to try to mitigate them i'm not gonna i'm sure you'll get into that so i don't want to steal your thunder yes um but yeah, I know there's been million, hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars um, thrown at getting rid of sea lamprey in the Great Lakes. And I think it's been working because I haven't heard too much about them recently. So, Okay, I'm going to stop this pretest. <laughs> so you know you know some stuff. It's <laughs> <laughs> always a, a risk doing a pretest, I guess. <laughs> Matt, that savant over there. <laughs> no, tell everybody all, right, man, all my I'm secrets. Up, I'm up on my news. Sorry. All right. All right. Here we go. So let's start first as ecology, okay? So what are sea lamprey? Um, sea lamprey are jawless, scaleless, eel-like fish that are parasitic in nature. They are anadromous, meaning that parts of their life cycle, so there is going to be a couple of life cycles like Matt touched upon, um, are both in salt and freshwater. They move from one place to the next, um, or they might not. So we'll discuss that a little bit later. And typically at adult form, they're 14 to 24 inches long and weigh up to five pounds. <laughs> Why are they called vampire fish is most notably they have an appendage is a sucker like mouth that spans the underside of their head. Very weird if you look at it. So if you flipped it over, it's just like yeah, <laughs> it's pretty gnarly looking. It's like just a yeah. suction cup made of teeth. It's pretty it's gnarly. A suction, like think about your face and it's just be like, Loop. yeah, it's just, mm -mm. yeah. It's they're they're pretty gnarly. Um, circular rows of teeth, though it's like, mm -hmm. and then right in the middle is uh, a sucker like. Well, they have a sucker like mouth, and then they have a. I think it's called a raspula. I didn't write this down, but I remember this from like so, raspula radula. Radula, and it's like a tongue that like scrapes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because I think snails have the same thing, like sea snails. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, so what this mouth has done is is used for is it it attaches to the side of a fish okay suction cups to it um, and then it uses its armored tongue to scrape away fish's flesh until it reaches the fish's fluid so vampire right mosquito whatever you want to think about it like yeah. that's what it's doing um lamprey even produce to keep the fluids flowing uh they feed they have anti-blood clotting agents known as Lamperethin. Oh, that I didn't know. Lamperethin, yeah, that keeps the blood and fluids flowing out of its prey without the clotting. So, wow, did not know that. Sucking down perpetually. Yeah, interesting. And I think mosquitoes don't they have that too? Like a little, and that's why there's like that reaction is because they have those like agents to keep. It I on. have no idea. I guess it makes sense. Yeah, they have some sort of thing that your body reacts to. Mm -hmm. 
Um, also, so like a little fun fact, we're not going to go too far into this. If feeding on sharks and rays, because remember, they are saltwater and adult. Mm -hmm. So freshwater is young, saltwater mm -hmm. and adult. If they're in their natural habitat or range, um, if they're feeding on sharks and rays, they sharks and rays have high amounts of urea, if you didn't know. Oh, yes. And these contents can be harmful to animals. However, um, this does not seem to affect lamprey. And they hmm. can feed on sharks, for example, until their victims die if they had a really good, I don't know, what? suction. So I don't know. Jeez. That's what it said. So just I don't bleed know if they sharks or maybe Holy it's like cow. a group of them. But yeah, and so. I feel like it'd have to be. Actually, I, guess, I don't. That'd be a fat lamprey. Holy yeah. cow. That's insane. Yeah, 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 yeah. So these are the traits for the adult form, but there's also a much different juvenile form. Mm -hmm. uh, that has a totally different life. Well, that part of its life cycle is totally different. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, ba -ba -ba. Once lamprey have fed on prey for around a year to 20 months, they migrate up to a freshwater river or stream tributary to spawn. Uh, this is where their anadromous life mm -hmm. begins. Uh, they lay eggs on gravel nests in moderate moving water, and the adults die after spawning. Oh, okay. So they are, I guess, the salmon of the lamps. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what if that was like the human life cycle? Oof. That'd Wouldn't be a tough a decision. Was, like 99. <laughs> <laughs> it is done! <laughs> That'd be a tough decision to make, man. <laughs> Maybe in like high school sex ed, we could like implement say, that. Be like, you're going to die. Sex ed class will be a lot different. Uh, <laughs> Choose <God>. wisely, children. <laughs> lamprey eggs will hatch in a week, and the larvae known as um, known as amacetes, we'll say it like that. Sorry if I'm butchering that word. They will float uh, with the current until they find silty, sandy bottoms. Okay, so they're going from gravel to like sandy-ish, slower moving currents, a little bit less. They still need a little bit of a current. Um, this is where the, the larvae will burrow and spend their early life filter feeding. So they're filter feeders. Oh, detritus, algae, and other organic matter that floats past them. They, mm -hmm, they filter feed. Hmm. And what's interesting is that these larval lamprey, they can, so they're the early life form, but mm -hmm. that can be three to 17 years long. Wow. That's, I was going to ask that too. Like what's their life expectancy in, yeah. in these different forms? Wow. So and most when of ready life, to leave, like. so these are, they are effectively, they have sensory organs, but they're blind. They don't have eyes. Um, but when they're ready oh. to grow to their adult form, they grow their sucker mouth. They don't have the mouth either. So it's like a filter feeding appendages, but then they grow the mouth and their eyes. They leave their burrow. They float downstream to open water where they will feed on larger fish and the life cycle continues. Hmm. They feed on larger fish for... Uh, was it a year to 20 months? Okay. Isn't that weird? Yeah. I just, I'm just that drastic transformation. That's like a butterfly metamorphosis. I know. That's crazy. Pokemon's real, man. <laughs> it just reminds me of like, you know, every now and again, where like a new dinosaur fossil will come out. And then a couple years later, like, no, that was just like the adult form of a different fossil we already found. It's like, if, if you saw these, two animals you're like there's no way they're the same thing it doesn't make sense it's absolutely wild 
I like fossil people. Like, by the way, T-Rexes had feathers, so yeah, man, redo all birds. those movies. They were just birds. Yeah, they're just birds. It's just terrifying. Birds. <laughs> <laughs> they're going to come back, Riley. And then the chicken's like, we'll survive. <laughs> Fighting uh, their time. All right, all right. Invasion. So let's go to the invasions. That was a mm-hmm. little bit of ecology. So the native range of lamprey include the Atlantic coast of America, as well as parts of Europe, uh, Mediterranean Sea, for example, they're from what I was reading, like European populations are quite reduced. Oh. We'll have a little fun, little bonus content, which we'll talk about that. Um, so okay. stick around. Okay. So um, the range also includes freshwater streams and rivers connected to the Atlantic coast. So on the U S side of things, so part of, yeah, their life cycle again is fresh water. So there is that freshwater connection. Mm-hmm. Um, in the United States, again, while well, focusing on the United States from here on out until I say otherwise, uh, they were kept all along the Atlantic coast by natural barriers. Okay. Oh. So that prevented their movement inward. Hmm. That makes sense. What, what kind of barriers? Great a question. The biggest barrier that we'll be talking about is Niagara Falls. Oh. <laughs> that's a pretty good one <laughs> yep yes okay. so although lamprey they live in salt water adult forms can be completed in fresh water should there be large viable populations of fish to feed on prey in their adult so they don't necessarily there isn't a need to be in salt water hopefully i'm oh. not overstepping too far they just need large prey to feed on so hmm. um that's why life cycles like in the Great Lakes can happen yeah. if they had the tributaries along the Great Lakes and then a large water body with larger fish. Yeah. Um, so I mentioned Great Lakes. So they're in the Great Lakes now. They mm-hmm. weren't always. So how do they get there? And this is to what Matt just asked. Um, there was a large barrier named Niagara Falls. This was the natural barrier prevented from entering into Lake Erie specifically. However, in 19, excuse me, 18... 92. What do you think happened in 1892? Uh, was there a canal built? There was a canal. Yeah, mm-hmm. the Welland. The first bypass around Niagara Falls. Uh, opened up shipping and prosperous areas, you know, up in the north. But mm-hmm. this also brought, unsuspectingly, the lamprey. So lampreys, they got into the Great Lakes like there. There was also connections to all the other Great Lakes as well. Mm-hmm. Um, through canals, rivers, and so on. Um, so that was 1829. The first lamprey reported in the Great Lakes, at least like grabbed up, was in Lake Erie in 1919. Wow. So 90 years later. 90 years. So when they first arrived, who knows? But mm-hmm. one pioneering lamprey figured it out and. With this introduction in 1919, let's just say that, uh, populations exploded in the Great Lakes. They found their way to complete their entire life cycle within the Great Lakes Basin. So again, uh, open water with the Great Lakes, that's where the adult form would be. Juvenile stages would be the surrounding tributaries and lakes. Okay. So when the populations exploded, so too was the, the negative effects. So lamprey, they fed down native fish prey including lake trout so that's the big one mm. it's almost like biggest fish to smallest cisco walleye lake herring whitefish all were 
prey, wow. but really lake trout. And we talk about restoration. That was the huge one. Lake mm -hmm. trout got decimated. Wow. Mm -hmm. um, lake trout population. So what a big issue with that though, too, was that they are the apex predators. Think of like the wolves of the great lakes <laughs> with these <laughs> lake trout. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, and this caused trophic structure, which need to do a podcast on that. Yeah, trophic um, cascades and whatnot. Yeah. Riley's writing a note right. to himself for later. Anyways, um, apex predators cause a train relaxation action and fully disrupted the Great Lakes ecosystem. Uh, even fish that did so, so adult forms, they're they're sucking down the the <laughs> food web. Mm -hmm. But like even if like so there there's ones that got their fluid sucked out, but then also there was one that escaped. But even the ones that escaped um, can be an issue is that they're they're not fully up to their fitness level and mm -hmm. they had health problems. So Scott and Crossman of 1973, they did a study and they observed that fish who are parasitically fed on by lamprey were five times more likely to be attacked by other fish. Oh, so, huge reductions of fish. Um, so just a chain reaction going on. Um, mm. And this was in co combination with um the late the lamprey invasion was in combination with fishing pressure fisheries of the great lakes as well so there was a booming fisheries industry oh. um if you think about like the fisheries as a modern science too like it was developing in the 181900s so mm -hmm. um yeah so a bunch of fishing vessels going on uh you know 1940s and 50s it was really like a big boom and mm -hmm. this dual action of invasives and fisheries um, led to the collapse of mm -hmm. let's let's use lake trout for example many collapses but lake trout was a big one for example in 1937 the harvest of lake trout in lake heron from like year over year dropped dropped 3.4 million pounds what crazy um i'm hoping i'm getting that that number right and then lake michigan the catch was reduced 5.5 million pounds. So, it, okay, it was 5.5 million pounds in 1946 mm -hmm. and just 402 pounds in 1953. What? They were like, they were done <laughs> after like a, what? Holy cow. Seven years that it dropped so much. Um, this could be just be, Jeez. you know, there was fishing pressure. Yeah. There was invasives and i'm i'm assuming to 1953 that 402 pounds i'm a lot of people i'm guessing stopped and then they did something else so there wasn't a high amount of fishing yeah. pressure so the, still yeah crazy the fishing effort may not have been intense but still you're just not catching there's just not as many fish out there mm -hmm. yep so a major decline in lake trout may get you thinking about well how many lamprey were there actually in the great lakes like causes decline right mm -hmm. so like so you got fishing pressure on one side, but then you have like lamprey, like what, what's going on? And we'll consider how to estimate lamprey populations, how they do it later. Mm -hmm. But if you consider an adult lamprey is known to, to get like, say 12 to 18 months of feeding in that life stage, oh. uh, a single lamprey can feed down 40 pounds of fish in its adult stage. And we're talking about like a 5.5 million pounds of lake trout from Jeez. a seven-year period gone. Think about how many lamprey might have been there. Dang. Yeah. 
Mm -hmm. um, so consider that larger fish will be lampreys first prey. If you talk about like efficiency models, mm -hmm. you know, like what are they going to go for? Like mm -hmm. if you're in a buffet and you were trying to maximize your feeding as a human, you know, you might go for the <laughs> prime rib first. Yep. Oh yeah. Make your way to the salad bar a little bit later. <laughs> get your money's <laughs> but, worth. <laughs> gotta get your money's worth. Yeah. And so say lake trout are gone, for example, what are they going for next? Uh, this also contributed to the extinction of a couple Cisco varieties of species, oh. uh, long John Cisco, deep water Cisco and the blackfin Cisco of the great lakes is considered to be extinct. Wow. Um, combination of factors for sure. But, um, lamprey did have, you know, uh, a say or play in it. Mm -hmm. Um, and also there in the great lakes in the last couple of decades, there was a bunch of boom and bust cycles of smaller fish like alewives, mm -hmm. uh, lamprey are considered to like cause that too so yeah if there's an opening in the niche of the great lakes like someone's going to try to fill it mm -hmm. and populations just went weird it wasn't a healthy you know trophic structure oh, yeah. ecosystem right Stuff's out and, of whack, 100%. Uh, yeah so wild changes in species composition so that's like painting the picture of what it was before mm -hmm. both the restoration and the control happened yeah Any I, questions i didn't realize how bad it got i mean yeah i'm sure obviously it's a combination of the over exploitation and the mm -hmm. parasitism i didn't realize that lamprey could actually like feed their hosts to death essentially you know yeah yeah so i guess maybe because they're so yeah because you think like parasitology you don't want to yeah. kill your host but they're they're external right so i think that maybe mm -hmm. why where they could be like, yeah. hey, your host is dead. I'm going to hop on. Whereas, like, if you're a tapeworm, like, mm -hmm. I got to keep this sucker alive. Yeah. Otherwise, I'm gone, no, that's too. That's a good point. Yeah, no, that's a yeah. good point. Hmm. So, that's the picture. Let's get to the next section called The Control. Mm -hmm. Ooh, it could be like a sci-fi movie. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't, I should have, you know, I, I hoping to keep this, podcast to a certain level right i don't want to get mm -hmm. too detailed i mean so there's a bunch of stuff about this and one of them was like you know just the, the economy of the great lakes region mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's fishing it's it's tourism mm -hmm. tourism related to outdoors and fishing so it's like i don't know it's, it's just such a money just in the area if you want to get oh, on yeah. that as well as the natural resources but like um mm -hmm. so this was a big issue and that's mm -hmm. why there was the development of like intergovernmental you know, relations to like restore the Great Lakes. Like, so there's a bunch of organizations that started and then a bunch of like funding interagency, intergovernmental funding methods to like figure this out because mm -hmm. it was, it was a big issue. So that's, well, let's paint that, you know, in the beginning as shortly as possible. But now, then, then it gets to how, how do we control this? So there's a tremendous outcry and federal and state agencies began to look at ways to remove or reduce the populations of, uh, Lamprey. Success, to make a long story short, came in the way of chemical control. Okay. Researchers in the 50s began assessing what chemicals could kill lampreys. This is like my favorite type of uh, science. Um, <laughs> what kills lampreys with a limited effect on other aquatic organisms? They mm -hmm. tested 6,000, more than 6,000 compounds. <laughs> That's more than I would have thought. To Holy find. Cow what chemicals would do this with a limited downside effect and they found two 
So TFM, and hopefully I'm not speaking out of turn, but I believe the the USGS branch that I worked with, they were, this was like part of the beginnings of that like branch was they, I'm pretty sure they were helping develop like these chemicals or like test them. These lamprosides, I think, as they were yeah. called. I think this is what, that was like the the branch lore when I was there. Hmm. But don't quote me if anybody's listening. Okay. Um, but two, so TFM, it's for anybody's interested. Three, I'm going to butcher this anyway. So look it up your own. It's just lamprey, TFM, three trifluoromethyl, four nitrophenol, TFM. Oh yeah. Or another one, which I believe it's just the trade name, baluside. Okay. Right. So they spread these through the springs. We'll talk about this in a second. The two chemical compounds have been—they selectively kill. For those who want to get in the nitty gritties of this, how do they how do they kill lamprey with limited mm-hmm. side effects on the other animals? Uh, TFM, for example, um, targets larval lamprey, and they have a low number of enzymes that can remove out that chemical, whereas other uh, fish may have a higher amount of it, these enzymes. So um, the chemical gets into the body; they can't remove it. Mm-hmm. Um, metabolize it and that's how they that's how they die whereas yeah. other fish might be like oh it hurts but at least i'm not gonna die yeah <laughs> for very non-science <laughs> way of saying it um, so these can be spread both in fast acting liquid or slow release physical forms okay mm-hmm. so as we talked about lamprey when they're juveniles they spend three to ten years or more in tributaries so targeting infested streams in this stationary, you know, they're, they're filter feeding, they're stationary is an effective mm-hmm. strategy for, um, for control. So Great Lakes Fisheries Commission, that was a, a group that was started as well as the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. So Great Lakes Fisheries Commission is like a, the interagency, intergovernmental group that helps with this. But then we have the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. Uh, they work together as well as other organizations too, don't get me wrong. Um, they assess tributaries and they apply these chemicals for three to five years straight. So like, oh, this is a really affected, mm-hmm. infested stream. We haven't looked at it for a couple of years. Let's target this one for the next couple of years. And they'll go, they'll, they'll lay down these chemicals. Mm-hmm. They'll also do like a, um, I believe they shock for them too, to do counts to figure out how, how oh. infested is it, right? So um, when I was in Ashland, so I was over there for like the summer and like, yeah, the couple weeks, I remember that they're like a couple hotels, but it would just be filled with government vehicles. And they had all hmm. these like, uh, I mean, they're pretty open about it because it's for spoiler alert. It was a, it's, it's a successful campaign. So it's like, mm-hmm. they have all these like lamp array, lamp side, you know, unit, mobile unit. And like, so yeah, mm-hmm. they come to an area and yeah, they, um, they lay down all these chemicals. Some people don't like the chemicals, right? Um, yeah. So that's, that can be an issue. Um, yeah. Did you find any research on like the chemical sterilization? I thought they were. I thought. Oh, I could be wrong. I thought. Like other ke- yeah. I thought there was some work where they would actually, so they would bait, they would have like these huge lamprey traps. Yeah. And they would. Like fun, they had some kind of mechanism where it would funnel them like down a chute, yeah. and then it would get them one by one. Then they would like inject them one by one to sterilize them. Oh, I didn't see. It any was of that. pretty automated. It was a pretty sophisticated setup. Weird. So yeah. what I did find was um, they're also looking into lamprey pheromones that alter the movement oh. of lampreys upstream. 
So pheromones emitted by juvenile lamprey. So like how, how are adult lamprey finding out where to go? Mm -hmm. um, or what's the best streams to travel up and reproduce? Um, they believe that, or they have found, to my knowledge, that like uh, the lamprey, they, they emit these pheromones. And uh, if researchers can figure out what the pheromones are, which they did, uh, they can basically put in a trap and emit those pheromones. Like, Come on over here. And then, yeah, your large amount of adults before they reproduce get trapped and removed. And that mm -hmm. can help remove um, or reduce. So uh, okay. work seems ongoing or in the developmental phase, what I saw. Um, I don't know how widespread that, that method is. So. Yeah. So were the pheromones given off by the juveniles so that they were mm -hmm. like, oh, if there's already juveniles there, that must be a good spot for juveniles. Yeah. Okay. To my understanding. Okay. And then no, another sense. method is physical barriers to block lampreys upstream. So mm -hmm. if you don't want to use chemicals, how are you going to do it? Physical barriers. So low head dams where mm -hmm. they cannot get over. Uh, if you think about the low head dam would be like, a, say you have like water going over a structure that's like two or three feet high. Mm -hmm. So these... These lamps can't really jump, I don't think. <laughs> yeah, not, not the um, best swimmers. Definitely has unwanted side effects, though. Obviously, mm -hmm. we talked about barriers and dams, um, and also they can be costly. So, yeah, that's a good point. Another too. method in some situation. I mean, if you had an industrial stream, for example, that's not natural resource oriented, might be something in to implement just so they're not in the area. But mm -hmm. um, yeah, so that's how they're very short right but that's how they're looking at it. so chemical control really effective doing mm -hmm. well another blend of this though is great lakes restoration so since 1991 us and canada have spent and this i found this number it seems low uh eight million annually on the control so eight million hmm. per year to control lamp right it does seem low yeah but um additionally so 12 million per year restoring lake trout so maybe this isn't in addition to okay. all the other stuff that they're doing it's just yeah. for lake trout and lamprey control mm -hmm. um so groups around you know the great lakes they, mm -hmm. they implement this so going to tr lake trout too like how how's that being restored uh, minnesota um they have had a or did have at one point they they limited lake trout harvest okay in mm -hmm. 1962 the same time where they they limited harvest and initiated restocking um okay. campaigns for lack of a better word mm -hmm. um so stockfish so a lot of you know there's hatcheries in the area right and stockfish were fin clipped so fisheries managers could be able to tell wild from stock populations mm -hmm. and they started like initiating like tracking pro programs um they would gill net so they've been gillnetting since 1962. Wow. 10 years later in 1972, creel surveys. So talking to fishermen, like how much you catch in, how much you keep in. Mm -hmm. um, they were also used to track populations. Um, gillnet counts are useful for both looking for lake trout caught as well as to evaluate of like lamprey control. Mm -hmm. This is because they can look at lake trout and be like, how many wounds? So say the fish survived, how many mm -hmm. sucker marks on the side of the lake trout? Are occurring yeah what's interesting is that lamprey wounds um these have been observed to go down so in the 1960s right. um out of 100 trout 30 wounds so 30 wounds per 100 trout so 30 percent okay. of the population would have mm -hmm. you know have been at least in contact with lamprey yeah. that's pretty high um 
2017, this was reduced to five wounds per wow. 100. So, yeah. Wow. That's so, effective. Yeah, I mean, it could be correlation doesn't equal causation situation, yeah. but so at I least wonder, it's a metric. Yeah, I wonder if that's more. I mean, it's probably a combination of both, right? The lamprey mm -hmm. decreasing a little bit and the lake trout increasing. Mm -hmm. So you're kind of diluting the population a little bit. So, but no, that's, I mean, yeah, the data, the data, right? That's impressive. So it's going quite well. Um, one of the studies I read or reports was there, you know, they're talking about like um, with that, that clipping of lake trout, mm -hmm. they can tell which one's wild, which one's um, stocked. And the <laughs> wild populations are getting to a good amount where they think that like it's a, reproducing sustainable populations that they're considering or have considered like cutting back on lake trout stocking because it's doing okay. so well so that's great good. yeah yep. good news <clears throat> so a little bit more on lamprey um you know the, the question is like how many how many lamprey are there right yeah that's a big issue to figure out and this is done through again mark recapture studies um, really indexing when you know, those infested streams. So like the stream area is like where they get this, the lake wide populations. Um, oh, okay. That makes sense. Yeah. I didn't look too far into the details. There's some math magic going on a little bit, but so <laughs> let's talk about trends. Current trends show that sea lamprey populations, um, this, the research or paper that I was looking at, they were looking at basically is, are the control methods meeting or exceeding expectations? Okay. So it's not like, yeah. So that's how they kind of like see measurement of success. What's your successes are? Mm -hmm. we want we want the population to stay at this much, and uh, it's doing well for each lake. It looks like they're meeting or exceeding the number set for each lakes, um, but it's with you know statistics. If you think about like climate change, for example, too, it's not a straight line. It oscillates. Yeah. And they're looking at averages. And what mm -hmm. was interesting that in 2015 to 2020. Estimates were as high as 300,000 lamprey in Lake Superior. That was the highest it's been since 1985. Hmm. So average is going down, but there's still like, some years are like, jeez, what's going yeah, on? Yeah, some, boom, some boom, boomer bust years. And huh. it could be, I don't know, the, the huge amount of lamprey went in, you know, and, and laid, reproduced. Um, yeah. Because it can well, be for more than a year when they're in their adult form. It could be like 20 months, so you could have yeah. like a lag. So. Watch the thing. And the thing too is, that they can stay in the streams for what 13 to 17 years or something like that yep. so yeah. three to 17 yep three to 17 so yeah so you can have it so definitely that's an issue too where it's like yeah oh, are we done i'm just like no nah, no yeah you can still have this yeah yeah hard math. so definitely looking this is where it's the focus of averages rather than looking at one year mm -hmm. um is that yeah the average is meeting the expectations set by officials but they're still sometimes where there's a high huge population yeah um we already talked about this a little bit uh lake trout numbers substantially rebound uh their populations peaked in the 1980s um in the 1990s lake trout were more up oh, when i talked about this lake trout wild lake trout more abundant than their clipped hatchery counterparts mm -hmm. 80 percent of the total catch now when you know because there's there's commercial fishing now going on again there's there's your you know weekend warrior going up there and <laughs> catching stuff too 80 percent of the total catch is wild trout so that's great so yeah harvesting numbers are going up so in the 70s there was five thousand fish 
from the like, Creel surveys, for example, now okay. over 20,000 annually in 2015. Wow. That's great. Um, and yeah, this was okay where I talked about. So I jumped ahead a little bit. 2016 officials were considered ending the lake trout stocking program because of the success of wild trout reestablishment with mm -hmm. wild trout apex predators once again um stabilizing the trophic structure so i think yeah um a lot of people chalk this up as a success which i effectively agree like yeah, yeah it's, it's hard it's hard to argue right yeah. now for sure mm -hmm. we need a yeah, resource managers need a win every now and then i think this is like yeah still not <laughs> i mean it just depends on where you, relative what what once was relative to what you know what i'm saying so yeah exactly um yeah, ideally there's no good. lamprey in there but i don't mm -hmm. think you'll ever get back to zero <laughs> Yep. And so now little, let's take a fun little step back okay. uh, with a bonus. Oh, <laughs> um, lamprey pie. Mm -hmm. I don't like that. I don't like the sound Matt. of it. Matt Gladfelter. Did you know that lamprey can be eaten beneath their layers of skin and slime? Lamprey are apparently edible. And particularly, the high courts of Royal English Society um, considered lamprey a delicacy in some regions of England. Okay, mm. this was a local tradition. So there was a local tradition of gifting Royal Society a lamprey pie for Christmas. Uh, I don't like that. <laughs> so what's uh, in the pie, Matt? Okay, oh, it consisted no. of a large flaky crust under which a mix of wine, spices, and thinly cut lamprey was placed. Okay, uh, some recipes also called using lamprey blood for a sauce oh, yeah, why not? thickener. Yeah, yeah no. absolutely. Like, what am I going to do with all this dumb blood? I got to use it somehow. Mm. Uh, the historical act of gifting lamprey pies began as early as there was some different numbers, but. Um, 11 1135 yeah there you go you 19, out, i was yeah. like 19 how would i say 1960s yeah 11z35 wow um, that is, and it continues a, to this day that's a long time um i don't like the idea of eating lamprey because they're gross and parasites however i think i might try the pie without the blood i am yep. a sucker for like a pot pie or shepherd's ha! pie i'm a sucker, sucker for a good pot pie <laughs> Well, Matt, and you wouldn't be alone in eating this still, because in 2012, Queen Elizabeth celebrated her 60th year on the throne, the coronation in which the city of Gloucester, England, a region where lamprey pie was thought to have originated from, gifted the queen elaborate pie. It looked like a freaking like sandcastle, like it was oh, really. Like, it was like <laughs> yeah, it was just a giant, calls. just ridiculous thing. Um, oh dear. Yeah. So lamprey. Here's a fun fact, though. For to that 2012 gifting, lamprey mm -hmm. are quite limited in England, so they were imported these invasive species from the Great Lakes no to be way. used in the pie. <laughs> so indeed, invasives. These can be used for something. Someone okay. needs to start this lamprey okay. pie sales. Yeah. I mean, I know like Asian carp and bighead carp. There's been a trend to try to get those like a commercial fishy around those to get eaten. Yeah. I've tried that crap. It's gross. I... <laughs> no, nah, it's not what you're supposed to say. Recut. <laughs> oh, it tastes yeah. so good. It tastes like salmon. <laughs> no. Yeah. What in Kentucky, they're like Kentucky, Kentucky tuna. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. They have all the, all the, man, names that's for it. not a tuna. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, yeah, I don't know if that's going to catch on with Lamprey. You're going to have to give it a, mm-hmm. a, a schnazzier name. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Minnesota Lake Eel. Yeah, what, what do we call it? Minnesota... Slime Bites. Uh, it could be like one of those things where it's like... Um, they had like popsicles that had like um, scorpions in it. It could be like one uh, of those novelties, you know? Min- Minnesota tube fish. There you go. I think vampire fish. That'd be no great. Gonna People eat, would be no like, one, if you see vampire yeah. fish on a menu, there's no way anyone's going to eat it. People are going to eat it. Yeah. No. Be, it's like, again, it's a novelty. It raises, you know. Like, oh, I, don't know. I don't know. Sweet and sour vampire fish. You wouldn't have that? Oh, actually, Ooh. now she said sweet and sour. See? Oof. But okay, okay. let's conclude here. The creepy-looking sea lamprey has caused quite a lot of harm in the Great Lakes region mm-hmm. of the U.S. and Canada. Lake trout, Cisco populations, including the extinction, um, and as well as entire industries, have all been decimated to in, partially because of the lamprey invasion. Uh, luckily, restorative efforts, U.S. and Canada, uh, this has made you know, this tragedy is a success story. So I think it really, it really, I think we need to chalk it up as a success story and people have, I think it's great. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it's a case study of coordinated efforts between even two countries, monitoring, fish restocking. Um, a lot of people had a lot of things to to play in the story to um, reduce the lamprey and bring things back. So yeah. I'm going to end with that. All right. Nice job, man. Like you said, uh, conservation needs a win every now and again. Yeah, man. And uh, War Eagle. So, <laughs> for all of our Auburn listeners out there. Yeah, there you go. All right. And half people just tuned out. Cool. That's great. And awesome. War Eagle. <laughs> all right. All man. right. See you next week. See you, man. <laughs> <laughs>